0: Okay, so we are beginning uh, after much anticipation and build up and hype. Uh, <laughs> this first week of emotionally healthy spirituality, uh, when we began the um, when we began the uh, sort of thinking about doing this course, we've got to um, we've got to feed out through to the babies area if. That would be helpful because I think that may. <laughs> Thanks, Ryan. Um, so, you anyway, know, I'm so. When we started this, I was like, man, this is going to be uh, interesting to see how this goes. And the pastor's vulnerability is always, and please don't play on this, uh, is always like, will people engage? With what I think God's calling us into, and so, and the annoying thing with anything like this as well is you have to pre-order the material, and so um, we pre-ordered I think 110 books, which was faith. Like that was, if you want to, you want faith, that's faith folks. So I was like, oh, well, 110, that would be all my dreams come true. We've got over 120 people registered to do the emotionally healthy spirituality course, which is really. Um, and the interesting thing about we were as a church, because we're only 18 months old, this is the first time that we've ever done something all together as a church. And so if it doesn't go well, I'm completely screwed for the next 10 years because I'm going to be re- rebuilding trust for the next 10 years because every time I say we should do something together, you go, well, that last thing was absolutely rubbish, so why would we do that? But I doubt that's going to be the story here. And so I just want to thank you for being up for this. And uh, it, it says a number of things. It says, um, it speaks to me of a humility of heart of a teachability that says we want to grow and we want to learn together, which I think is beautiful. It speaks about a softness of heart that says I'm I'm up for changing. And um, and also I love that it speaks to unity, that together we can take a journey. And there's something very powerful, I think, about journeying through this sort of stuff together. And so I'm just very proud of you guys. I'm very grateful and I'm very expectant about what the Lord is going to do in our midst as we journey through this uh, course together. Uh, A special thank you to Charlotte, obviously, who's not here, but she'll listen to this. Um, For all her work uh, coordinating all of this, um, I'm Ideas Guy. (laughs) And she's put the wheels on the ideas and turned it into something that's gonna go somewhere. So thank you, Charlotte. How about we say thank you to Charlotte? And as we begin this journey, I just wanna say this, that I'm not interested in doing courses. I couldn't care less about courses. I am interested in Jesus. And I want us to get close to Jesus. And, uh, and one of the kind of phrases that we've stolen from a church in, in the States is this idea that we want to be with Jesus, become like Jesus, and do what he did. Great summary. And I love it because it's all about Jesus. We just want to be with Him. We want to be close to Him. How heavenly was that worship? It's because we got near to Jesus. There's no one more beautiful you can draw near to than Jesus. He is just beauty incarnate. And so as we worshipped Him, He drew near to us, and there we were. And we want to become like Him. This is what the old uh, saints called sanctification. Sanctification. You know, we've talked about this a lot. You'll see it in the book this week. We don't want to be a 22-year-old Christian that's actually a one-year-old Christian 22 times. Amen? We want to grow in Him. And even though that can be uncomfortable, it can be like wearing a dead man's shoe sometimes, for those that have checked with us for a while, for all the visitors. (laughs) Good luck with that metaphor. Um, It can feel uncomfortable and and it can feel a bit weird. But then after a while, there is a new life that we experience as we allow Him to sanctify us. And ultimately, we, we be with Him and we become like Him so we can do what he did, that we can Uh, we can reach out to people with His love, that we can have margin and capacity in our hearts to to, to care for the other, to celebrate with the other, to mourn with the other, to go to those people that other people avoid, and to love and to serve and to care, and to see the kingdom of God break in through signs and wonders and all that sort of stuff. It happens though when we learn to be with Him, and when we allow Him to shape and mould us so that we can become more like Him. In 1 John 2, verse 6, it says, whoever claims, to live in Jesus, must live as Jesus did. What John is trying to get here is that it's not so bright, we're a bit fast there. Do you want to click back a bit? Thank you. That's a spoiler alert. Thank you. Um, it's for too long we've got so hooked up on converting people that we've forgotten that we're actually called to be disciples. We aren't, it's not just about avoiding. You know, hell or something, which is a horrific theology in itself, uh, when we die and, and go into some disembodied heaven one day. It's about the kingdom of God breaking into earth as it is in heaven. It's about us learning to be disciples, to follow Jesus. And why do we want to follow Jesus? Because he is the life, because in him is true life. In Him's life and all of its fullness, we find it and all, we try and find it in other places. And then when you meet Him and you learn to sit with Him every day, all of a sudden it's like, whoa, my soul's coming alive. Outwardly I might be wasting away, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. And so this is why we are doing this course Again, I'm not interested in the course, I'm interested in tools that are going to help us get close to Jesus and become more like Him. And the thing that concerns me and the reason I just love what God's doing in in our church at this time is that I think for a long time people, there's a journey that happens. You come to faith and you get frothed on church because everything you hear is new. And like, for some of you guys who are in that space and just enjoy it, it's honeymoon, it's just awesome. Everything that comes out of this Muppet's mouth is a brand new idea and you're like, mate, the guy's like, you know, some sort of Yoda or something, it's awesome. Those Now, that lasts for a couple of years and then there's a season where things shift and it's like, you have to go beyond just being catarious of this to something deeper where your devotional life actually grows and that process of sanctification is clear Uh, to see in terms of God changing your life because otherwise you're going to get very bored very quickly. And I've just seen a lot of guys, particularly my age and younger, check out, really. I mean, they're here in body, but they're mainly here for their kids because they don't want their kids to miss out on, they realise that the consequences of fully checking out on church are huge, and they are. The statistics, if you bail on church, not like your faith may hang in there, It's almost guaranteed your grandchildren will not have faith if you just check out of gathering together, right? So so good on you. Come along because you're keen for your children, your grandchildren to be close to Jesus. There's got to be more than that, right? Surely there's got to be more than that. And I'm telling you, there is. In uh, all we're going to be doing, the only one author we're going to quote for the next eight weeks is Peter Scazzaro from the book Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. I love this. He says, After many years of frustration and disappointment, realising that the black and white presentations of the life of faith did not fit with their life experience, people quit, at least internally. For the sake of their children or perhaps for lack of an alternative, they've remained in church but passively. They can't quite put their finger on the problem but they know something is not right. That is... That is is so true. And so we are going to make it difficult at Bay Vineyard to just stay where you're at. Sorry if that gets a bit uncomfortable. I'm I, genuinely, I don't want to push people, but also I want to, I, I'm hungry for more. And I know that 120 plus of you are hungry for more. And so that's why we're doing this journey. So, the course that we're going to be doing is all about integrating emotional health and contemplative spirituality, a dynamite combination. So, what do we mean by emotional health? Grant. Emotional health is concerned with these sorts of things. Naming, recognizing, and managing our own feelings. When I first um, realized I was not in love with Jen, I struggled to name the feeling because I I'd I'd had such strong boundaries around how I related to, to a woman because I was single and in ministry that when my friend said to me, if you don't ask out Jen, you're an idiot, it opened this weird feeling for me which I've come to name love. And uh, <laughs> we... Uh, and this is a big thing, guys. And I joke, but it's like emotions are with us, and can we name and recognize and manage our own feelings? Identifying with and having active compassion for others is healthy. You know, like there have been times in my life I've got numb because I'm just not I'm in a state of unhealth when it comes to my emotions, and I and I don't actually have a compassion or empathy for others. Uh, emotional health is initiating and maintaining close and meaningful relationships. Sorry, guys, um, but you know, there's a conviction burger to start things off early. Uh, enjoy that. <laughs> initiating and maintaining close, breaking free from self destructive patterns. The big one, right? It's like just working through our, our habitual brokenness, being aware of how our past impacts our present. We're going to be looking at this in some depth as we do this course. Developing the capacity to express our thoughts and feelings clearly, both verbally and non-verbally. Respecting and loving others without having to change them. Asking for what we need, want, or prefer clearly, directly, and respectfully. Accurately self-assessing our strengths, limits, and weaknesses, and freely sharing them with others. That's freedom. Freedom learning the capacity to resolve conflict maturely and negotiate solutions that consider the perspectives of others, distinguishing appropriately and appropriately expressing our sexuality and sensuality and grieving well. I mean, that list there is, um, is the dream. And, and Peter Schizero's theory, which I totally agree with, is that we've got very focused on our spiritual lives and often it's been a narrow bandwidth even in terms of what that looks like, but we've ignored often in the church all these things that actually, if you walk into and deal with, will lead you into life in all of its fullness. It's not easy. It's not. Um, it's. It can be a bit messy, but it's always worth it because it will lead you into life. So. Emotional health is concerned with these things. Contemplative spirituality, on the hand, other hand, focuses on classic practices and concerns, such as awakening and surrendering to God's love in any and every situation, positioning ourselves to hear God and remember His presence in all that we do, communing with God, allowing Him to fully dwell, indwell the depth of our being, practicing silent solitude in a life of unceasing prayer, resting attentively in the presence of God, Understanding our earthly life as a journey of transformation, listen, toward an ever-increasing union with God, Ooh. finding the true essence of who we are in God, Living, loving others out of a life of love for God, developing a balanced, harmonious rhythm of life that enables us to be aware of the sacred in all of life adapting adapting historical practice of spirituality that are applicable today like allowing our christian lives to be shaped by the rhythms of the christian calendar rather than culture and living in a commut- committed community that passionately loves jesus above all else i mean the combination of these two things is dynamite and it m- it makes me very excited about the idea that we're going to go there we're going to explore what it looks like to have that sort of combination of a deep contemplative life with jesus and emotional health and the combination of emotional health and contemplative spirituality addresses what I believe, according to Peter Scazzaro, to be the missing piece in contemporary Christianity. And together they unleash the Holy Spirit inside of us in order that we might know experientially the power of an authentic life in Christ. So, uh, that's kind of what we're hitting. Deep water. But uh, again, as I've, as I've teased a few times before, we're going to be finishing the year by resting in Ephesians. Hallelujah the glorious wonders of his grace, and we're just going to work our way through that book systematically and allow the Holy Spirit to just renew us. And so um, there are seasons of life where it can get a little intense as we reflect on who we are and our past and and, and the bits that need some healing, but um, the Lord's always so kind in how he does that. And so don't fear about me pushing you to a place you don't want to go or Peter Schizero pushing you to a place you don't want to go because we're going to rest in the merciful arms of Jesus all the way through this journey. And the journey is going to look different for every single one of us. Uh, and so we can just rest in that. It's okay. We're going to be covering heaps of ground. There's no way you can apply it all or learn it all or anything like that. There's no way. But there'll be one or two things the Lord will do that will bring great life to us, I believe. So as we start um, the course, there's three components. God, do you want to go back? Sorry, grunt. Uh, three components to the course. Uh, there's the book. And so for those of you that are doing the course, um, the idea is that you read the chapter before you go into group this week. So the uh, idea is that you would have read chapter one, and then we're going to be discussing that stuff in the group this week. Now, a handful of you genuinely struggle to read, and that's okay. You do not have to read the book to do the course, okay? Okay. So if that's been for some reason, for whatever reason you haven't wanted to engage with it because you're like, I'm not great at reading, just ignore that component of it. I'm going to be preaching it. We're going to be discussing it. You'll get heaps out of the course without having to read the book, okay? It's okay. But for the rest of you, come on, read the book. Are you serious? (laughs) You lazy gits. Honestly, you... (laughs) The, oh, I can't read a book. One chapter. Turn off that flipping Netflix series you're watching one night a week and read the book. You lazy sods. You can do it. It's unbelievable. How do you think, if you're good at how do you think you're going to grow without reading? Filling your mind with all that rubbish. Come on, church. Oh, getting, he's getting warmed up now. Where's my hanky? All right. Oh, see, honestly. You don't have to read, it's fine, but ignore you know you it's fine. But the rest of you, 98% of you, can find the time and you will to read a book, read the book. <laughs> the second thing is the devotions. So that begins, I think it's today. I'll have to check. It probably begins today, or it could begin. And can I can I really encourage you to do this? If you get nothing else out of this course but you use this next eight weeks to fight to have a daily devotion with Jesus that really renews and refreshes your soul, you're going to be, tra- you're going to be totally different by the time that you go into the next term. And so the idea in here is that you do one at m- in the morning or lunchtime and then one in the evening. Now we're Bay Vineyard, so I'm going to say, this is an edict from the Lord, just do one. Okay, I think that's going to, my gauge for where we're at is that probably one is going to be a stretch for most of us. Just to get in the habit of our eight-minute devotional, eight minutes, I've preached about this before, and I'm glad I have. I've been preparing the way. I've been John the Baptist for the Peter Skazero course. Um, but can I, can I encourage you to, to, to give this a nudge? And here's why. As we sung and worship together uh, this morning, there was a moment for many of you of pure intimacy with Jesus. It was just pure intimacy. I've forgotten what that feels like. I'm so busy running around. But last week I was speaking at another church, and I heard you guys had a terrible Sunday here. And I'm sorry for just a, everything was a shambles—worship and hosting and preaching—and it was all just a big mess. So, so you know, I'm back, guys. It's okay, you know. Um, but last Sunday. Um, I was at this other church, and I didn't have to worry about packing in or communion or anything. I just had to preach, which I can do relatively easy these days after 17 years on the saddle. So during worship, and, and they're rubbish compared to our guys, but even in, <laughs> even in, even in spite of that, it was just stunning. Because my mind was clear, and I'd taken communion just as a punter, and then I just worshipped him. And I was like, this is so beautiful. I just It was me and Jesus. And this beautiful moment of intimacy, and it hit me. The only other time I feel like that is when I sit in silence and I do my daily office. Because the problem with our Christianity sometimes is that we can read about Jesus, sing about Jesus, think about Jesus, look at his words, all that stuff. But how often do we have those pure intimate moments where it's with no other agenda, we just sit in communion with him and that's it. It's stunning, and it it's exposing because it reveals how fast your mind's going and how distracted you are, and all this sort of stuff. And sometimes it can it, you slow down enough to realize that you're a bit broken and you've been running because you haven't wanted to face that. And all all of that dynamic can take place, but ultimately it's this place of incredible intimacy with Him. And I have found no other practice, out, you know, outside of these gathered moments, no other practice is as beautiful as those minutes of silence with Jesus. And so can I deeply encourage you to try this course because the devotion lines up with what we're talking about and it will enable you to sit with Jesus and work through the material rather than just try and work it all out with yourself, just to sit with him. And as I've said many times, time cannot be an excuse because it's less than 10 minutes. Everyone's got that. In terms of just anyway, so the devotion and the last thing is the workbook. We're going to be getting together in groups, doing this journey together, which is so beautiful. We are not called to journey with Jesus on our own; we're called to um, to do this together. So, this morning, that was my introduction. Uh, let's dive in. <laughs> uh, that's kind of that's the first third. You've done well. Um, let's look at the signs of emotional unhealthy spirituality. So, what are we what are we going to be looking out for? That gives us a hint that we've got some unhealth emotionally, and um, you know how we talked about Marie Kondo sparking joy um, in our devotional series, in our finding life series. This is kind of the opposite. This is <laughs> this is like what is the statement that's like, oh, oh that's so me. It doesn't spark joy. It sparks like, um, and that's. Now, some of you may be 10 out of 10 here, and God bless you. You know, there's you've got your lifetime to work through it, you know, whatever. But we're really just, the reason we're talking about this today, because we're going to be going through it this week, is because in, in a group at some point this week, the opportunity is going to arise for you to talk to not the whole group, but one person in that group, the person next to you, about what is that thing for you that you think, as we've talked on Sunday and as we listen to the material this week, that is like, I think. I think that's something for me. That requires vulnerability, that requires humility, that requires us taking a mask off, all that stuff. And that's how we grow and that's how we get whole and that's how we walk into healing. So let's go through the 10 signs that we may be a bit emotionally unhealthy. Is using God to run from God. So what we mean by, this is the sound guy's temptation. That's what I'm gonna call it. I've observed in church sometimes um, that people can get very busy doing things in a service. Can you go back, please, uh, Grant? Sorry, we'll just stay on the first one. Yep, thank you. I'll give you a cue, okay? Um, Busying ourselves. So the danger is that we can be so busy for God that, again, we don't sit with Jesus And I've seen a couple of people in the last 17 years, no one in this church, uh, in the last 17 years where I'm like, I've realized that they've busied themselves and it's almost I've built a wall between what God is doing and the congregation by staying focused on certain tasks. And so sometimes we can actually just be going, going, going and doing things for Jesus and not sitting with Jesus. And it's a sign that we're broken and that the Lord wants to bring some healing to us. And so we can use super spiritual language to hide. You know, uh, we can use God talk. Um, We can... Sometimes I think we've blamed external demonic forces rather than acknowledging we're broken and need to sort ourselves out. Sometimes I think we've tried to go it's out of some extra thing out here when actually it's like, no, you're a bit messed up. You've got to work through that. That's you. (laughs) Uh, And so sometimes we can use God to super-spiritualize and the rest of it to run from God. The second second thing is ignoring emotions of anger, sadness, and fear, grump. This week we're going to compare the life of Saul and David. Saul is very detached from his emotions. He doesn't engage with them. David's very in touch with his emotions and what he is feeling and why. And he pours that out. We see this within the Psalms. And uh, bearing our emotions is very dangerous. We're invited to be in touch with our emotions and to express them wisely and well. A quote from the book: "To feel is to be human. To minimise or deny what we feel is a distortion of what it means to be image bearers of our personal God." To the degree that we are unable to express our emotions, we remain impaired in our ability to love God, others, and ourselves well. And so, this is a—it's a big deal. Uh, And again, some of us have gone through more than others. And so, justifiably, there is a greater strength to some of the things that we feel. And that can be scary, particularly for Kiwi males, but not exclusively so. And so the temptation is to bury those things. But actually, when you look at the life of Jesus, you see him engage fully with the, the full gamut of emotions. And it's very interesting, as you sit with Jesus, he often heals that. And we begin to see our emotions begin to manifest themselves again. Uh, and that's a beautiful thing. Thirdly, dying to the wrong things. Uh, the little martyr complex. There are things that should die in your life, Okay. There are naughty things that you should kill <laughs> that need to die, uh, but uh, there is a lot that needs to be celebrated and enjoyed as part of our lives. There is uh, there's this lovely um, theology, which we don't have the time to unpack today, but there's this idea of a sacramental worldview that simply says, God is good and he created everything good. Now, fallenness and brokenness have entered into the world. That is not good. But there's so much that's good and to be celebrated and enjoyed. And so when Christians die to the wrong things, it's a tragedy where we're like martyr ourselves uh, in the sake of following Jesus for whatever. No, there's so much that should be enjoyed and celebrated. Uh, quote from the book, We are not called by God to die to the good parts of who we are. God never asked us to die to the healthy desires and pleasures of life to friendships and joy and art and music, beauty, recreation, laughter and nature. God plants desires in our hearts so we will nurture and water them. Often these desires and passions are invitations from God, gifts from him. Yet somehow we feel guilty unwrapping those presents. God wants to bring healing if that's one of a struggle for you so that you can enjoy, enjoy the gifts of God. Fourthly, it's denying the past impact on the present. All of us, our next slide, thank you, Grant. Let's decide you are on it, bro. <laughs> All of us have a history, and that history shapes who we are today. And some of it will be helpful, and we're grateful that it's part of our story, and some of it won't be. And uh, some of it needs healing. And the reason we want to passionately pursue healing is because we want to break whatever cycle that may be or whatever wound has, been, has hurt us historically. And so um, the reality is whether you like it or not, Your past shapes who you are today. And so uh, the work of uh, growing in Christ, what theologians call sanctification, does not mean we don't go back to the past as we press ahead to what God has for us. It actually demands we go back in order to break free from unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving ourselves and others as God designed. Um, This is an interesting one because um, uh, this. It's interesting as you get older how you see your parents as humans, right? You know, like there's that moment. It's in your twenties normally, can be a bit later sometimes, where you're like, "Oh man, they are really human." And then when you become a parent yourself, you're like, "Oh no," you know, "Crikey, but my parents as messed up as I am?" You know, and trying to raise me, and no wonder a little, you know. Uh, and so even you know, I feel very fortunate that I've had a very I've had a lovely upbringing. I'd, I'd want my upbringing on, on my, you know, I just would want that on everyone. I had a lovely upbringing. But even with my lovely upbringing with good parents, there are things I've had to work through from my past. And some of it was was influenced by them and just who they are. And some of it was just, you know, I got myself in a tangle a few times. And also I do believe that there are generational things that sometimes um, you sort of, you're walking in that um, you you want to work through. And so uh, if you've had a particularly tricky upbringing, this will be another opportunity just to reflect on how that shaped you. And again, we don't do that because it's like, yay, let's look at all the rubbish times in my history. That'll be fun. It's like, no, we do that with Jesus so that he can speak life into those places, healing into those places, and set us free from the cycle so that our children, and, and not only that, so that we can go forward in freedom. Okay, so this is going to be, most of us are going to have something there. Fifthly, uh, dividing our lives into secular and sacred compartments. Um, And this is um, uh, the kind of big theological term here is uh, platonic dualism, but it's this idea that in the early church they had to fight against this pretty hard because there was this idea that, oh, there's certain parts of us and what we do that are really spiritual, and then there's a whole lot of stuff That's not spiritual. And if you take that theology to its natural progression, it doesn't matter what you do with your body. And so the church would, there's all sorts of funky things that went on, you know, with that really dumb worldview. Uh, But these days, probably less so in terms of concerns around, you know, really sexual immoral immoral behaviours because our body doesn't matter. um, And it's our soul that matters. The, The danger these days is that we can still have secular and spiritual compartments to our life where we are spiritual, obviously in these environments um, and maybe others, but then there are secular parts, particularly like our job and, and whatever, rugby on a Saturday morning, whatever that are like. No, that's that's it's very difficult to see how God's a part of that. And God wants to heal that because life gets very rich when we invite God into every single part of our life. It brings it to life. And actually, you can train your eyes to begin to see the glory of God in everything. And it means that your soul just starts rejoicing at the tiniest little glimmer of his kingdom or the, of beauty or goodness. Uh, and so this is, again, a sign of unhealthy emotional spirituality as if we've got very clear compartments to our lives. Sixthly, doing for God instead of being with God—it is the battle of our age. The great temptation is to just to do stuff for Jesus, but we struggle to sit with Him, and uh, and. And really, uh, for the advancement of God's kingdom, we need to learn to sit with Jesus. Yes, of course we're going to do things for Jesus, but it needs to come from a place of being with Him. Work for God that is not nourished by deep interior life with God will eventually be contaminated by other things, such as ego, power, needing approval of and from others, and buying the wrong ideas of success and the mistaken belief that we can't fail. When we work for God because of these things, our experience of the gospel often falls off-center. We become human doings, not human beings. Our experiential sense of worth and validation gradually shifts from God's unconditional love for us in Christ to our works and performance, and the joy of Christ gradually disappears. This is, is again, we're all guilty, unfortunately, to varying degrees of this side of things. And if it's not um, doing for God, it's just doing for ourselves. It's doing for our boss. It's doing for our families. Doing, doing, doing. Rather than having regular moments of being with God. Seventh, spiritualizing away conflict. Again, Kiwis A. Eh? Oh man, what nightmares. Of the, this is just. We have got a lot of maturing to do as a nation here, uh, around um, around this whole thing of conflict. And because we have extremes, we either completely ignore conflict and pretend it's not happening, or we um, or we get keyboard warrior, which is the, just the dumbest you know thing ever. Where you see you know where people kind of rant and rave on Facebook and Twitter and whatever, and it's like it's just really poor. It's poor conflict in every way, uh, and so there's a whole list of things here that um, that you know are just um, not helpful. Saying one thing to people's faces, then another behind their backs. Making promises we have no intention of keeping. I'll pray for you. Um, blame, attack, uh, giving people the silent treatment, becoming sarcastic, giving in because we are not afraid of being because we are afraid of not being liked. Leaking our anger by sending an email containing not-so-subtle criticism. I <laughs> one or two of those in my time. Uh, tell only half the truth because we can't bear to hurt a friend's feelings. Saying yes when we mean no. That's called a pretend agreement. Yeah, yeah, I'd love to help you. And inside I'm like, no, no, it's the last thing I want to do. <laughs> Avoid, uh, Avoiding and withdrawing and cutting off. So rather than actually going there and working through it, just ignoring and finding an outside person with whom we can share in order to ease our anxiety. There's a quote that Peter Schizero says on the video today, but I'm going to say it now because he just he all the way through this course, you're going to hear these mic drop statements that are just so profound, and then he's on to the next thing. But he says this, out of a desire to bring true peace, Jesus disrupted the false peace all around him. And out of a desire to bring true peace, Jesus disrupted the false peace all around him. He refused to spiritualize away conflict. This is an area, as a Kiwi culture, we've got a long way to grow in. As a people, we've got a long way to grow in. I don't like conflict. No one likes conflict. But I like it when we can work through things and come out the other side. And that's healthy, where we can talk about the issue, not the person, where we can actually go there and say, that hurt when you said that, rather than pretending it, to, whatever it may be the other thing that really bugs me while we're on the subject is, um, <laughs> you know on Facebook when everyone's like, when one of your friends is doing something really dumb that is just not that great a life choice and everyone's like, yay, so happy that you're dating that dropkick. You know, I mean, yeah, you know, it anyway, just really bugs me. I'm like, at these Christians writing like, you know, it's therapy already. Um, eighth thing is covering over brokenness, weakness and failure. Oh, Lord, would you heal us of this. If this is the one thing he does, I'll be the happiest pastor in New Zealand. And I've been so proud, as I've said a few times now, of how vulnerable and raw every preacher has been over the last couple of months. There has just been a brutal honesty. And, uh, you know, the re- here's the freeing reality. Every one of us is deeply flawed and broken. Every single one of us is deeply flawed and broken. You know that amazing Christian leader you've looked up to all your life? Deeply flawed and broken. You know that international leader of a mega church with books and all the rest of it? Deeply flawed and broken. Your spiritual heroes? Deeply flawed and broken. Your parents? Deeply flawed and broken. Your pastor? Deeply flawed and broken. I don't say that lightly. Deeply flawed and broken. Every single one of us are. And, it, and the most beautiful dynamic that starts happening in the church is when we take off our masks and acknowledge that we're deeply flawed and broken. And it's the most, it's, it's actually very, the enemy will say that people are gonna react in a way that's gonna cause you more shame. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Every, there, there may be some absolute psychopaths out there that, that may do that. In this place, that will not happen. And your group this week, if you choose to take off your mask and speak in whatever, however much courage you've got about a little bit of your own brokenness and flaws, then you will discover the freedom that comes when you don't have to carry it on your own anymore. And you will experience grace and understanding from those around you. And you will begin to find healing. It's just, I, I can sniff it a mile away. I mean, the number of people now that come up to me, they try and impress me. It continues to happen. To, to impress me with their spiritual lives or with their insights or knowledge or whatever. And I'm like, I'm just not interested. Like, honestly, I'm not But when people talk to me about their flaws and their struggles and their pain and, oh man, then I come alive as a pastor and then I'm like, then we move from being competitors to brothers and sisters. Then we move into a place of intimacy that's just incredibly beautiful. And so can I, with all my heart, encourage you as you've seen modeled from the front and hopefully by our leaders, can I encourage you to take your masks off and to to avoid the temptation of presenting yourself as more sorted than you really are. It's going to be the greatest temptation we face as we journey through emotionally healthy spirituality. The greatest temptation we're going to face is to present ourselves more sorted than we really are. If you're not having any quiet times, just tell your crew, it's fine. You're joining a large tribe of our group, of our church that also struggled to have a quiet time with Jesus. No dramas. If your past has really screwed you up, fine. You're joining a whole tribe of people whose pasts have messed them up and were working through it in Jesus. It doesn't matter what you're going through or what your struggles are. Other people in this place will be going through exactly the same things. You are not on your own. And the devil has told you that is not true. And so in this safe place, we want to come to a, a place of great freedom in Jesus where we take off our mask. Ninth, and we're coming into the end here, is living without limits. Guys, you are not God. And we are invited to operate within our limits, to rest, to look after ourselves. The fascinating thing with the greatest commandments is that there are three, not two. To love God, to love ourselves, and to love others. Interesting, eh? To love God, to love ourselves, and to love others. And we sort of flip over that one, you know, to love God the God, to love others as you love yourself. It's very difficult to love others if you don't love yourself. It's actually biblically almost impossible. You, to, to have margin and to have space for people and to have a love for the other requires you to love yourself. And, and, and how do you love yourself? You let yourself off the hook. You slow down. You give yourselves a break. You rest. You operate within your limits. You be, be kind to yourself. I've never seen anyone consistently push themselves and not pay a big price. I've seen it just way too many times. Um, as Parker Palmer says uh, in this book, uh, there's a quote, self-care is never a selfish act it is simply good stewardship of the only gift i have the gift i was put on earth to offer others any time we can listen to our true selves and give it the care it requires we do it not only for ourselves but for the many others whose lives we touch and so this course is going to continue the journey which we have we've been banging on about a lot here around slow down Jesus wants you to come to him and have more stress. I mean, more rest, right? He wants you to rest. It's actually the the degree to which we struggle to rest is the degree to which we're broken and God wants to heal us, to have that margin and that space in our lives. It's required me going to counseling. I know that sounds weird, but it has. I've had to go to counseling, uh, it was 10 years ago now. I had to go to counseling to work out why I couldn't slow down. Why, what was broken in me, I was physiologically addicted to keeping on going, and when I started to hear about Sabbath rest and and engage with it, it exposed my brokenness, and I couldn't fix it on my own. So I had to work through that. So I want to encourage us to, to explore that one. And lastly, judging other people's spiritual journey. Oh man, this is again going to be a big, big temptation this week. Um, this is the second temptation of the course that we're inevitably going to rest in. Don't worry about somebody else's journey. Even as we go through this list, some of you have probably thought about a friend of yours who really needed to be here this Sunday, who you wish were listening right now. That's this. That's exactly what we're talking about here, right? It's not a, this is, again, a sign of unhealthy spirituality. What God wants to do is something in you. I'm, as a pastor... I'm like, Lord, help me avoid this one. This is a big one for me. Help me simply allow you to do a work in my heart over the next eight weeks. Reveal something to me. Lead me into some greater life. Do something in my own soul that will bring me to life. And so um, every time that you listen to something and think of somebody in your, in your group or on the, in your life, just use that as an opportunity to go, oops, Lord, now speak to me. Uh, when we share over uh, the next little while in our groups, don't share for the sake of another. Share about yourself. Don't be thinking about somebody else. Don't bring theory. For some, Talk about yourself. Teaching is forbidden. It's testimony only. It's about you. No teaching, only testimony. Some of you guys are going to struggle with that that have been around a while. Don't, I don't, we don't want your insights. Peter Scazzaro's, that's his job. It's about you. What's the Lord doing in your life at this time? I love this. This is a quote from the book. We judge the Presbyterians for being too structured. We judge the Pentecostals for lacking structure. We judge the Episcopalians for their candles of written prayers. We judge the Roman Catholics for their view of the Lord's Supper and the Orthodox Christians from the eastern part of the world for their strange culture and love of icons. By failing to let others be themselves before God and move at their own pace, we inevitably project onto them our own discomfort with their choice to live differently than we do. We're all at different stages of our journey. And the Lord knows that. That's why it's okay. You don't have to fear. You're in the hands of the merciful God. He knows exactly where you're at, and He knows exactly what He wants to lead you into over this course, and it's going to be different than the person sitting next to you. Hallelujah. It's going to be different. And so we can just rest in that. It's not your job to change anybody. That's God through the power of the Spirit. That's His job. And so... This week, uh, we're going to be invited to share with another person in your group what you think one of those areas that God may want to heal in your life is. Can I encourage you to be honest and vulnerable? And the reason I've preached it is because as I looked through the material, I thought it's just not enough time to sit on it. So I'd love you to read the book, engage with the devotion so that you've you've already begun the journey by the time you hit the small group, rather than trying to just process a whole lot in that moment. There'll be plenty for us to learn in the group as well. This will be a season of reflection and looking at our lives as we journey together. But through it all, we are held in the loving arms of Jesus. And as we do this journey, he is with us and he is for us and he loves us. We can rest in that. And he wants to bring us into into new life. He wants to bring us into healing. He he wants to bring us into new lands that feel like freedom. He wants us to be filled with his peace, his joy, and above all, his love. That's his desire for us. And so as we take this journey together, I'm confident that that will be our experience. I land with this. The church, sweeping statement alert. (laughs) I don't know if i have done a very good job at sanctification historically. I don't know if we've talked about this enough. But actually, uh, what happens is that when we come to faith is that God loves us just the way that we are, but loves us too much to keep us in that place. And he wants to bring us into new places of life. And as I reflect on my 17 years of full-time ministry and my whatever years it's been, horrific number now, of actually following Jesus, I can hand on heart say, He's good. I love that song. He's been faithful and his goodness pursues pursued us. I love that new song we sang this morning. I can tell you that it's worth it. It's painful at times. It's called the cross. You've got to pick up your cross and you've got to follow him. Parts, There's bits that need to die and death is never fun. It's painful. It's embarrassing sometimes. Things have got to die. But the story does not end on Friday. It ends on Sunday. And many of us as Christians have been stuck in the Saturday limbo land for way too long. We've experienced the forgiveness. We've experienced the mercy. And we've come to faith in Jesus. But we have not experienced enough of the resurrection life in Jesus that he came to bring. He's the first fruit. He said he's come to bring life in all of its fullness. And so when we're going deeper now saying, Lord, we want to live that life. And I can promise you, with every, I'd love to get every single one of you and just look you in the eye. And say it's worth it. It's worth it to do the journey. What Where your soul, where, it, where you land after a while, you, the, the, the place where your soul, you just come alive. Like I feel more alive now than I've ever felt. I'm more in love with Jesus than I've ever been. I'm experiencing the reality of more love, joy, and peace in my inner being as an experience, not as some theory, increasingly, not just in these moments, but almost every day. It's true. He transforms us from glory to glory. 2 Corinthians 3 verse 18, and we who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into His image with ever-increasing glory which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We're being transformed. I'm inviting you over these eight weeks to allow the Lord to bring some more transformation to your life. Being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. We'll be transformed from glory to glory and there'll be a glorious day where he brings that work to completion when we stand before him in glory. And then we'll watch out, it's gonna be all kinds of awesome. But until then, would his kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That future reality breaking into the present more and more and more. So can I encourage you to engage as, as, as you'll get out what you put in. So maybe this morning it's like, okay, I was gonna kind of cruise through this And maybe by the Holy Spirit, he's just like, no. How about we give it a good nudge? How about we we choose one night a week where we don't watch Netflix, we read the chapter? How about we decide today what time we're gonna have that devotion? Because again, we aren't here to believe in Jesus, we're here to follow Jesus. So let's allow Jesus to reorientate the, the entirety of our lives so that it becomes one that increasingly is with him, is more like him and is doing what he did. Amen? All right, let's stand and pray.